Welcome to Going Upstairs, the Opening Up Cricket podcast. The guest in this episode is Kazim Sheikh, a former Scotland international cricketer. And through that, we talk about his experience of life on the road, playing for his country, as well as a spell playing for Pakistan Customs in the domestic league there. The main focus of our conversation, though, is his experience of mental ill health and cricket's interaction with that, as well as talking about the experiences of when he found himself at his lowest. We also look at how he's used various tools to recover and live a fulfilling life, particularly now in his role as a podcast host. As further ado, get stuck into what is an interesting and engaging story. Okay, um, well, Kazim, thank you for for joining me. It seems like everyone's life at the moment is uh, on a Zoom screen, so we can't see people without the the box around their heads. But it's nice to sort of to have an e chat anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, if we've been in this in these circumstances in previous times, um, phone calls can get a little bit a little bit boring. It's always good to to put a face. To the person you're talking to, uh, so no, I think we're we're privileged to have such technology. I'm not um, big on too much technology, but uh, you know, Zoom has been my my best friend for the past six months or so. So no, I think we're lucky to have it. Yeah, it's good. we've got to look at it that way, haven't we? That um, see the benefits in, in in what's come out of the situation and how we can keep in touch. So you, you've been doing uh, a, f- a fair bit of this. Like I was just saying beforehand. I've been watching one of your your videos um, um, on YouTube with Grant Bradburn. So just give me a little bit of an idea about what made you think about picking up the podcast mic and, and chatting to people. Well, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a number of things, to be honest. Um, I was uh, about six months or so, maybe just over six months ago now, um, I was in a, I was in I was in a situation probably for about a year prior to that where I'd been battling with my my mental health. Um, this probably transpired from you know not seeing my son for a significant amount of time, and you know it was it was taking its toll. And you know I was I was plodding along as they say, kind of just trying to stay above water. Uh, meanwhile, crumbling inside and just you know things spiraling out of control. And I then got to the point where we started the pandemic and the coronavirus struck and I was uh, I was let go from my, my job at the time and found myself, um, as I'm sure many people did, being unemployed and pretty freaked out. Uh, didn't obviously have a good effect on my, my already not 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 very good mental health situation and i was blessed and lucky that you know i'd met my new partner um we we had a little we had a little girl so I, there was enough around me to to keep me busy even though we had went into lockdown um and keep you know some sort of positiveness but I've played international cricket. I've always been around, you know, I like to do things with myself. I've worked in some quite uh, quite good roles as a business development manager. I like to feel a bit of, you know, it's important to me to to be doing something that's 
gets my gets my gets my juices going as as the term would be, and I've always loved my sport. I've always loved, in particularly cricket, and I just thought, and it was nothing to do with lockdown really. It was just in the back. It just happened to be that lockdown worked quite well to kind of get a, a name quite quickly. But I just thought, you know what? I would. I've always wanted to to do something as in speaking to sports people, speaking to them about their experiences, speaking to them about their challenges that they face along the way, and I thought, why not? Why not try and do something here? Um, I'd done a couple of podcasts with uh, another another couple of mates of mine who had started one up called Halfway Up Middle. So I'd done a couple of podcasts with them. So I had some experience. I'd done some with Crick, Crick Index as well. And I like talking about sport, especially cricket. So I decided just to get in touch with a, a friend of mine who I played a bit of cricket with for, for Scotland, Ryan Flanagan, who recently done a podcast with me. as a, he's, he's joined on board now as a co-host. And, <laughs> excuse me. We recorded a podcast and it got around 800 views and I was like, didn't expect that to happen. Um, and then from there, I, I know some cricketers. I know, you know, some big names, i.e. Darren Sammy. And one of the most watched, the most watched podcast was actually with a dear friend of mine and it's got a leading Scotland wicket taker, Majid Hack, which also got a really good response. And then it kind of got me thinking and I kind of just got possessed by it, to be honest. it's. Um, it's 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 everything to me. Um, I think sometimes my wife maybe thinks it's a little bit too much to me, um, but I think she supports me, and I'm very. She's also a an aspiring singer, uh, singer songwriter. So she's very passionate. She's got passion herself, so she understands um, passion. So I've now kind of found trying to find that middle ground of not upsetting my wife and daughter too much. Uh, and I think I manage it a little bit better now. You know, at one point I was taking on two podcasts a day. I was I even tried to do three one day and I got a look from my wife as if you might end up getting strangled here. So I think you should just take it easy. Uh, and it just it just it just went from there. And and as you say, I've spoken to I'm, I'm, some of the people I'd never even never even met or spoken with, the likes of Adam Hollyoke, who I got in touch with just through social media. I have regular messages with Adam Hollyoke now. He's a he's a he's a great man, really really humble guy, inspiring story. You know the likes of Andy Moles, who's a fantastic fantastic coach. Gave me my Scotland debut to get him on after what he's just gone through with having his leg amputated and getting a prosthetic leg. Again, very inspiring. Um, the likes of Tino Best, very very flamboyant, very you know good energetic character. And it just it just went from there, and, and we're now got to the point where this Sunday, I think it's around my fortieth podcast that will come out, and it's with Grant Bradburn, and it's just phenomenal. It's it's the best podcast I've done to date, um, and I think I've I've evolved as time has gone on. Uh, but yeah, that's just a little bit more about it, and and from all mental health, I've found it's been a, a positive impact on my mental health. I think it's it's given me a purpose. Uh, speaking to people is quite it gives me gives me you know the whole saying it's you should talk to people was getting the chance to speak to people has has really helped me and it's given me a, a positive positive energy that I now try to feed off and try to inspire other people um, who've had struggles and I've I've had messages from people that I've never met who've seen come across the podcast and got in touch and just you know we, we're we're friends now we have we have regular private conversations. Um, and they've had their own struggles, um, and I try to. I mean, I'm no psychologist, but you know, we can all do a little bit to help each other. 
Yeah, absolutely right. And that what you've said there about the importance of talking, so often people only really mention that when there's a, a, a struggle or when you need that quite critical conversation with someone. But your example there of the podcast and just the pleasure of speaking to people and finding out more about them, knowing about their story, that's just brilliant for how, how you feel as, an, as a person because of that connection that you get with people. And that can be overlooked, the very, the very basics. So this is, as your example, I think is a great one for everyone to think about. It might not be that they do a, a podcast, for example, but how can we connect with people a bit more? And, and especially in times like this where it's not as natural to bump into someone in the coffee shop or at the cricket club, but it's things that we can we can certainly get the benefit from from there. Now, going back a little bit, then mm-hmm. if we think about, I know when we were we sent a cut when we were exchanging messages uh, last week. One of the things you mentioned was the kind of toll that that playing cricket can have on on people's mental health, and spoken about a lot more now, which is brilliant. How specifically did that show itself? in in your experience? I think um, in regards to the pressures of the game, I was actually quite mentally strong in that department. That was actually my, you know, I've got no patience in life. I'll put this on record and say patience is not one of my strong points, but I had really strong patience when I had a bat in my hand. I mean, my forte was four-day cricket. I could bat long periods of time and I was very mentally tough. You know, I liked the, the battle of being in the middle and, having the challenge of playing against, you know, the opponents coming hard at me and I, I thrived on it. Um, however, I think that the challenges more came as I got deeper into my career, non-selection, being on tour for long periods of time, um, carrying, you know, it's become a bit of a joke because I've said it on record a few times now, a few of my mates have a laugh at me. So when you were, I mentioned maybe I've been on a tour and the goals that was that the old drinks again that you were carrying. You know, I, I had a couple of tours where I where I carried a lot of drinks, um, and that 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 really there was one tour in particular to South Africa. Uh, we were out there with Scotland for the World Cup qualifiers, and I pretty much carried drinks for the most of the tour until maybe the la- maybe two or three games before the end of the tour, and I got a game against the Dutch, and I got a first baller. So after sitting on the bench for a long period of time, I got the nod to come into the team. I personally thought I should have got the nod sooner because the batting lineup wasn't performing very well. Um, but that was, you know, that was my time. That was my chance, and I got a first baller. So I wasn't in a good place. I, you know, I was, um, I was homesick. Um, probably not being myself. You know, I, I was rooming at that point with current Scotland captain Kyle Kutzer. Um, I used to keep my curtains closed all the time. So they used to call me the lizard, and it was a it was a joke, it was banter, but it wasn't. They weren't slack. They weren't they, they weren't doing it out of it. Was just they just assumed that oh, Shaky just wants to stay in his room all the time. But really, I was staying in my room because I was I didn't feel happy. Um, I felt felt you know don't really want to be here. Um, I had probably a bit of resent towards my my coach at the time perhaps a bit against my captain as well. And it was kind of building up inside me. It's not a nice way to be, you know, you're, bit, bit, you're quite quite bitter. And I think all of that took its effect 
on my on my mental health. And I was never one that really looked at mental health. And, and you know, I, I'll put this on record in saying when when Jonathan Trott, for instance, spoke out about his mental health, I was one of the people that said, well, I think he's just bottling it from Mitchell Johnson, doesn't fancy it. And how wrong I was, you know, uh, you know, and I'm I'm happy to I'm I'm happy to say that I, I don't shy away from things that I've said in the past. Do I feel that way now? No, and you know, I'm I'm very sorry for having that mindset. But I think a lot of people have been like that. I think a lot of people have been uneducated on it, and just assume people are trying to feel sorry for themselves. Um, and it's a horrible and, and because it doesn't really have any clear, clear signs. You can't look at somebody and think straight away. You know. He's got, he's got, oh, you can tell he's got, you know, you, I, I might look happy more often than not, but there could be just times where I'm taking a, taking a nosedive and it's, it's not nice. But yeah, cricket, cricket is a, especially as a batsman, it's a really tough one. I mean, you only get one, you know, one ball and it's all over. Um, and it's, you know, if you don't perform for three or four games, the pressure can build up on you. And you know, you know that your your place is on your, your place in the team is on the line, and that's that's that you know that's that's a lot of stress. But so is so is all sport at the top level, um, even club cricket. I'll go to where you know this this you know I've felt pressure at club cricket before when I've maybe been in a position where I'm kind of the expected player to score runs, and you don't do it, and you've got the the old guard. You know, I played down south in particular, Bradford League, for instance. You know, they're very passionate about their cricket. Um, and you've got, you know, a couple of the old boys in the boundary line just saying, what's this guy doing playing for us? What we signed a jock for? I mean, he's bloody useless. Send him up the road. And you go home that night and it proper proper gets to you. You, you know, you proper feel, oh, that's 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 horrible. These these people just don't have any don't have any trust in me. Um and it, so it's um it's a shame. It's a shame. It, it, it can it can it's, it can be it can be a real struggle. Um and I feel for anybody and I'm 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 open to trying to help anybody who has struggles with it because it's it's uh, it's it's no laughing matter. It's a it's a serious it's a serious thing. Mm, yeah, you you mentioned there with the the pressures and how that can particularly become a an issue when you're away from home. So with the your example there of a of a tour where you're away from from people who you're close to, and then selection obviously has an impact on that. If you're playing every game and it's going well, feels great. I'm sure. When the challenge is involved, then the things can get magnified that little bit more. Um, when you were going through that, those feeling those difficulties and feeling resentment uh, and and finding the the environment the, the environment somewhere you didn't really want to be at the time, did you recognise that as a decline in your mental health, or were you not? quite ready to accept what was what was happening because a lot of the time we could put up those barriers can't we and say make all kinds of excuses for it without maybe really being accepting that it's something to do with our health and our well-being at that time I didn't know that I was probably suffering from depression no not at all um, I just thought I was down in the dumps I'm feeling you know feeling rubbish you know feeling kind of almost starting to feel like you know I had no purpose there. Um, it was all those kind of feelings, you know, it was, it, it wasn't, I wasn't the, the way I can sit here now and I can say to you, you know, I understand depression now and I, I know what has happened to me um, at different stages of my life. It's only with what I've went through in the last couple of years that has made me realise about moments previous in my life 
that, you know what, I've felt this before and this is not normal. Uh, this is uh, this is there's something there's something more to this. Um, and I'll go back as far as when I was 17, 18 and I was down at the um, MCC Young Cricketer staff um, at Lords, and I felt the same kind of feelings down there. And actually, resigned. I was I was doing well down there. I was into my second season as I had a second contract, and I resigned halfway through the second season. Um, and at the time, many people had assumed that I just, just couldn't be bothered, wasn't committed to the cause, and and just left. When really there was a lot more to it. Uh, I was I was totally depressed. I, I, I really was struggling being away from home. I was only seventeen and a half at the time. Um, just there was a lot of banter. We used to fly around, and maybe I was just a, I was quite young compared to a lot of the other boys in the team. Um, and sometimes maybe I, I got bullied a little bit, which is some would probably think it's unusual for me because that know me because I'm I'm quite a I dish it out quite a bit and I can I can tend to take it. But at that age, I, I found myself feeling a bit vulnerable, um, and just yeah, just I look back at different stages. I lost my younger brother when I was uh, when I was 13 years old. Um, I don't look back at that time and actually think I was depressed and it was strange uh, because. My brother, when he passed, it didn't really, it was very sad. I cried a lot of emotion, but it didn't really hit me until years down the line as I got older that I started looking around at friends who had younger brothers who had grown up and were getting married and and I was attending weddings of friends, younger brothers. And that's when I started to feel the the depression in relation to that. Um, So it's, 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 it's different different stages, but did I did I know at that point in South Africa I was probably 26, 27 at the time. No, I didn't. I wasn't able to sit there and I wouldn't have been able to have this conversation with you and say, you know, I understand what depression is and I've I've been through it. I would have just would have just said to you, yeah, it was just a tough time, you know, I was just feeling sorry for myself. Mm, yeah. And and that rings true with with certainly my own experience of it, and I'm sure many people who will who will come across this this conversation and have experienced similar things will often have those episodes in their life where they they can like you say look back and go this was the same signs that i experienced later i just didn't know what it was and that can lead to a certain level of of frustration with it but to look on that more mental fitness side of things you mentioned that you've you you find you found with batting that's something which you could apply patience to um and particularly i'm always fascinated by batting in cricket in terms of the mental side of it because as you say one chance it can get if it goes badly that's you sat down for for, for a long time regretting uh, and, and watching someone else score your runs um in the in the environment then when clearly thrived and being in that really competitive high performance um setting what was it that kind of set people apart in terms of their their mental skills and fitness the things that they did between the ears um to get them through i've always found the most mentally tough cricketers i've played with keep it quite simple um don't overthink the game too much don't um don't question themselves too much. Um, the best cricketers I've played with, um, I'll give a pair. I'll give it. I'll give it. Give you. Give you an example. Um, I played with uh, Gavin Hamilton quite a bit of cricket. Now, obviously, great cricketer. Um, played 
played for many years for Yorkshire, England, and obviously for Scotland. And Gav was quite an intense guy. Like, he was quite intense. But whenever you would talk to him about cricket, because I was when I came into the team, he was like an he was like an idol. You know, I watched him at the end the ninety nine World Cup as a, as, a, as a teenager, so to share the same changing rooms and was like, you know, I, I want to get around this guy. He's a fellow left hander. I want to I want to be around him. And I would always whenever I talked to Gav about cricket, he's just like shaky, just see ball, hit ball, see ball, hit ball. It's really that simple. Don't overthink it. And I'd be like. Oh, there's got to be more to it, you know. You, you talk to me a little bit more. You know, what do I need to change? Or and he's like, and then eventually he, he said to me once, he said, um, hit, "Show a bit more aggression. You know, hit the ball a little bit harder. Enjoy yourself, because I, I would maybe be a bit too reserved in my batting." Um, and he just said to me, "Just smack it. Just if you, if you, if you, if you, you know, the hard, if you hit a nice and hard, it's you, you're going to be all right." Um, and I would be thinking, no, oh, but you may hit the ball late and you might do this and you might do And then I would watch Gab bat and he would sometimes when he's maybe not in that really beautiful, lovely rhythm, he would he would just smack it and he would he would smack it well. And it, it, it is what it is. So I, I, I looked at that and just thought at a young age, like, this, look at this guy, he's far better, you know, far more advanced cricketer than me. You know, he's played many years of professional cricket and he's just saying to me, keep it simple. And I did keep it simple. You know, I never really overcomplicated it, but I played with other guys that would net for hours, throwdowns for hours. I found them to be a little bit more mentally not as strong, you know, um, because I just thought they were overthinking it way too much um, to the point that they probably weren't switching off. And therefore, their mental side of the game was having it was having an effect on their mental side of the game. Whereas, I think it's really important in sport that you're on it at the right time, and you switch off at the right time. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. When a night before a big game, I would I do dream about my innings, and I'll picture things and I'll visualize it. But that's 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 just part of the routine. That's that's not that's not a, that's not a stress for me. That's just. My dreams, you know, I want this the dreams to come true tomorrow and I want to, you know, and I, I'll even visualise what I expect the ball to do from the certain bowlers that I know and they might do a little bit. And that was healthy for me. Where the problem would come in is when it was the day before the game and I'm feeling anxiety and I'm like, oh no, you know, if I don't get runs tomorrow, I'm, I'm out of the team or, you know, this guy's got my number. He's got me a couple of times. How am I going to deal with him tomorrow? Is he, is he going to cause me problems? How should I play him? And before you know it, I've already gone out to bat, and I'm so my head's my head's not right. It's not focused the way it should be. You know, watch the ball, put what's what's happened behind me. So I think for me, it was always just keep the game simple. Look to keep the game simple. Um, even if my feet are not moving too much when I go in early doors, just watch the ball. Watch the ball is key. Um, you're going to give yourself a better chance than not if you watch the ball. So yeah, for me, I think that the best players and mentally tough players I've seen kept the game simple. I'm not saying they never. I don't see you shouldn't train hard and you shouldn't, but don't don't question your ability too much. People that I've seen question their ability a lot, I did find struggled with the struggled at times. I came out and were too tense, got out without even really expressing themselves. Um, so that's that's what I would say on on that side of things and how I've been around the, the tough the tough mentally players. Yeah, it's definitely a case that 
you can try too hard, can't you? Whether it be cricket or something else, and your energy is all bound up in in something. When really, particularly with 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 batting and oh, I guess with pretty much anything, you're better when you're a little bit more relaxed and you're trying to enjoy it. Um, so that makes a lot, a lot of sense there. I'm intrigued about, and I have been intrigued about Pakistani cricket ever since I was a kid because um, my coach when I was growing up. Um, his family originated from from Pakistan, so as well as being an England fan, apologies for that. Um, my second team had always been uh, always been Pakistan. So um, your experience then of playing for, for Pakistan Customs, um, what's the, the the differences really then between playing cricket in the UK compared compared to Pakistan, and not just necessarily the, the weather, but the way things are run and the way things are approached. From my, t- uh, no, I'll, I'll say this, I think things are changing quite significantly. Um, and, you know, I, I realised that when I when I just spoke with Grant Bradburn just a few days ago. Um, and I think under Mickey Arthur as well, big, big changes. But if I'm going to talk about my time there, uh, which was, you know, now 10, over 10 years ago, uh, very, very different. Um, playing in England, for instance, um, there's more of a structure. There is more of a structure, and you you have a lot more players are treated and managed. Um, I think slightly better than what they are in Pakistan. So I'll give you an example. In Pakistan, the way a coach wants to g you up is is tended to be by telling you how good he was, and also questioning your ability by poking at you. You know, like, so my coach once, um, I'd scored 100 on my debut and then I got a king, a pair, duck, duck in my next game. And then I got dropped for the next game. My nose was a little bit out of joint because I was thinking, well, I still got 100 in the first game. More, couple, good couple more runs than a few of the other boys. Okay, I got a king pair. It was against a pretty good team. A couple of good balls, to be fair. What are you dropping me for? Um, and he just said to me, "You were scared in that last game. You were scared. I mean, you look like a. You look like you were terrified. I mean, what ball were you looking at?" And I'm and I'm like, Is "This guy trying to patronise me, or what, what? What's he trying to do here?" And I was saying, oh, the ball knit back. You know, I, I wasn't. I didn't do a hell of a lot wrong. It was doing a bit. Um, and and I, you were lucky with that hundred as well. And I'm like, "Oh, coach, I wanna." I want, to, I want to have it out with you here. So I went back to my room and one of the senior players came into my room and he, he explained it to me because I was raging. I was like, the guy came into my room and I said, that coach, you know, I'm he, he, this and that and blah, blah, blah. I won't choose all the words that I was saying, but it was a couple of unpleasantries were said. And he explained to me, he actually rates you very highly, but that's his way of just kind of pushing your buttons a little bit. And I thought, all right, is that how the coach here... You know, is that it's a bit different. You know, it's uh, it's not what I'm what not what I'm used to. A coach in the UK, for instance, I think would have said to me, "Would you know? You didn't you didn't you didn't play that correctly? You know, look what you did in the last game. Why didn't you do that in this game? You know, how are we going to how are we going to fix that? So a little bit more of a sense more. But however, he did get my he did get me go get get did get me fired up, and I was like. I'm going to show him and the next time I get my opportunity that he's he's made a bad call 
And then I realized, I learned the cultural difference that in Pakistan, that is the way they'll, they'll poke you, they'll prod you. And he would tell me, I mean, he would sit and tell me for hours how good he was. And, you know, then I actually checked his record and it wasn't that good. So, you know, it was, it was in Pakistan, they liked it. And it was interesting when I talked to Grant on the podcast, Grant talked about that we're changing that mindset. You know, it's people need to realise that coaching is not about telling people about what you've done. It's about coaching a player and every player is different. Um, so that was a big cultural difference. There was a lot more slagging off that went on, went on. You know, if you you didn't hit you, you hit you didn't hit a boundary for ten overs in Pakistan, bloody hell, your whole team are there sitting on the boundary line going, "This guy's crap. He's useless." You know, what's he what's he doing doing out there? He shouldn't even be playing. I had a bit too much of that for my liking, and I think the the mentality has changed a lot, and it shows in Pakistani cricket that we've always had the talent. There's always been for that's why you probably like Pakistan. I mean, they've got. Freakish talent, but how many times have you heard of fallouts in the Pakistani international team? You know, cliques, different groups being formed, and that's not how you have a successful team. Uh, so I think now, with the likes of Mickey Arthur in recent times, and now Grant Bradburn, I think Pakistani cricket is changing and evolving a lot. And it's, um, I think it's still they want to encourage that freakishly good talent that's there but just manage it a little bit better and get the best out of it rather than, you know, allowing politics maybe to come into cricket. And I think the, I think the, I think the, the, the boys, it shows on the pitch. I think they, they look like a team, maybe not even got as much talent as some of the teams from the past. I mean, if you look at the 2003-99 World Cup teams, I mean, unbelievable teams. You know, that's the teams you probably grew up watching and thinking, my goodness, you know, from the top side down where all the way down to your Wazi and Wakars, you know, Inzamams, just talent all the way through. Whereas they're probably not as star-studded. They've got one player who is, shines above the rest in Barbarazm, but they now are showing a real togetherness and they're getting probably better results consistently than what that team got. So I think it's, it's, it's really, really good to see and it's exciting. Um, whereas I think in England... Um, there was there was things in England that you know, or, or in Scotland as well that I didn't always, I didn't always like the, you know, I think sometimes it goes the opposite direction a bit too much. It's a bit too school teacherish. The style of coaching I found sometimes that you know you have to do it that way. Well, it doesn't work for me. You know, I, you know, I prefer to do it this way, and I think that works better for me. And I think the best coaches are the ones who see that. I mean, a great coach that I worked with was a a gentleman called Adrian Birrell, who coached Ireland in the World Cup that uh, led them to some of their famous victories. He was one of the best coaches I've worked with because he he could see what each person had and he wanted you to bring that out of you. Uh, I'm quite a confidence player, so he would he would he would he would always give me a wee pat in the back and say to me, you know, you're ready for this, you know, you 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 go out there and bat for the next two hours. You make it to the lunch in this session, we're going to be in a great position. I've got full confidence in you. And you're like, he's got and then when I would walk off, well played, you know, you've done re- you've done really well. Those kind of coaches were perfect for me, whereas I know some other players that didn't like to get too much, you know, too much confidence put in them. They felt more pressure. They just wanted to be left alone and just let leave me to it. I'm in my own zone and that's the way I want to play. So everybody's different. You can't coach or 10 guys the same way. 
if it's a fielding session, yeah, you're all going to do the same stuff. But in technical stuff, in bowling and batting and mindset, you need to be able to adjust your style to different players, I think. And they're the, they're the best coaches. Yeah. But with, with this, and I suppose this, the overlap comes here with when we're talking about some of the, the mental approaches in cricket, as well as how a coach might then organise the sessions and organise the squad. Thinking back to, 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 to say the, the health aspects of it, how important do you see the role of a, of a coach or a leader in that sense in, in creating the environment where yourself or whoever else feels like they're able to, to share how they're feeling, to maybe disclose that they are struggling? Um, is that put too much as, as it has to be the coach? Because I remember with the, um, the Edge documentary, there's a lot of people saying, well, you know, it's Andy Flowers' issue that these things happened with with trot and so on when others would say surely it's a, a role for everyone to make an environment where people feel they can they can talk about these things if, if needed where, where do you find the balances look i think coach and captain are very very important extremely important um but you're right it's not all on them you know if you create an environment that is a healthy environment an inclusive environment for people from for instance, all different faiths, all different types of backgrounds. Um, I think it it means that I might feel comfortable as long as I'm in an inclusive environment. I can go and talk to a number of people. You know, maybe I know on that day, coach is under a bit of pressure. You know, he's got some stuff on his plate right now. Captain's got some stuff on his plate. It shouldn't always fall on them to have those chats. Eventually, the captain and the coach should know and should have should be part of those conversations, especially if there's a, a serious issue there. Um, but it's a it's, 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 mental health is upon all us humans. You know, anybody could suffer mental health challenges at any point. You know, nobody can assume that they can't listen. If the heavyweight champion of the world, Tyson Fury, can go through it, then the whole mindset and of people that. Mental, you're you're depressed. Oh, it's just soft. Well, who's going to go and tell Tyson Fury he's soft? Because you get you get a punch in the mouth, and you would get you would get straightened out pretty quickly. So if he has been to to, to you know where he's been to with it, then it's 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 not something to be you know ashamed of or feel soft about. It's a serious. It can happen to anybody. So I think it's upon all of us. If you have a if you're in the workspace, for instance, and you sense that somebody's not right you know he's normally quite chatty or she's normally quite chatty and today she's really quiet it's it's upon us to it shouldn't be that you go straight to a manager and report it and say you need to have a word with them because the manager might not have seen what you've seen you know take that person to the side and just ask them are you okay that's all it needs to be are you okay and you might find that person might let out a little bit and then what but i mean it's got to be in a healthy, inclusive environment because, and not all environments, I'm afraid to say, are like are like that. Um, and that's I've experienced it in the workplace. You know, I was in that probably the worst point of when I wasn't seeing my son, and I was working in a row at that point, and I decided to open up and tell my manager about it, and it actually became a joke in amongst some of my team members, and some of the things that were said to me, I actually went home and was in tears. 
And that's not like me. I'm, I'm normally a strong character. If someone tries to slag me off, I'll stand my ground, I'll give it back. But that was, I look back now and I just, and I thought to myself, I will never, ever, ever do that to anybody because I've had banter with people in the past and it actually made me think back to years previous when I was younger, probably a bit stupid at the time. And I've had certain jokes with people that were maybe struggling at the time. You know, they were maybe quiet or a little bit off for a reason. So now I don't, even if I, if I say something to somebody now and they say to me, they give me a bit of a dry response. I feel I feel terrible. I mean, I didn't maybe mean to upset them, but I, I've just said something that's obviously triggered something with them. And I, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I, I caught, straight away I've got to try and speak to that person and, and you know, is, 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 is everything okay? That, I think, is upon all of us. All of us. Um, you don't know at any point you could help somebody. Um, and we should all have the... I think we should all have the mindset that we should be willing to help other people. Um, it doesn't have to be financial, you know, giving people money or anything like that. But just by speaking to somebody, you never know. You might help them a great deal. Mm. Yeah, and we can all give our t- all give our time, can't we? It's a resource which is probably the most precious thing we we have, and it really makes a difference to someone when you do you do you do that. And I'm just thinking there with, with what you're saying regarding, say, um, trigger something triggering um, someone. And for for a long time, I would look at that and think if someone's you know flown off the handle at an innocuous remark or. They've seemed to have just lost it. And we use all these terms, don't we, to describe it, which aren't necessarily very helpful often. But I was reading something the other day where it was it was just spelling out the obvious, but I, I, I probably needed it screamed at me in this way, saying often when someone is perhaps triggered or prompted by something and their, their reaction might seem excessive, who knows what they've actually done or what's happened before them, where they've been trying to keep it together, trying their best, trying their best, and then they just can't take anymore. We all reach that point where, or we can all reach that point where we've just had too much and that's the final straw and that that takes it it through from there. And, and with that, as I move towards the end, when you'd reached a, a point where you you sort of felt at your, your, your wit's end and you were probably at, at, at the, the lowest you've been, was that a time where you felt there was someone there for you to, to, to speak to about it? Or was it a, a case like a lot of people have where they've maybe spoken about it to someone before, not had a great reaction and then worried about speaking to, to someone else again? At my, um, at my lowest uh, point, the problem that I'd had was I'm blessed with two parents that have loved me my whole life, you know, I couldn't have asked for two bit more better parents. The things my parents have done for me in my life is above and beyond they even should have had to have done. Um, so, but what you do as well at, the, at those times was, so I wasn't seeing my son. I was not living in a good in a good way. I was living alone um, at the time, and uh, I lashed out at some of the people that were closest to me. I.e. my mum, my dad at times, my sister. Um, and I, I think they had the, they probably had a bit of a mindset, well, maybe you just need to, you know, deal with your, we're not going to listen to your, not going to listen to your nonsense. And at the time, I was like wanting to cry out and say, I'm not, I'm, I'm not right. Uh, but I wasn't dealing with it in the right way. I, I, I was, 
was getting angry with other people, like it was their fault. What you know, what what the, the circumstances I was I was in. Um, I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to lie. I've said it, said it on record. I was I was I was I was I was suicide. I was definitely suicidal. Not to the point that I don't I don't think I really got very close to it. The closest I probably got was driving my car on the motorway, probably doing about seventy five miles per hour, um, and just driving along and just thinking I'm just going to drive my car off the road, and. It wasn't until about 10 miles more down the road, I was on a journey from down south back to Glasgow, that my mind just said, you just had a bit of a wobbly moment there. You were actually like thinking about that, because it would be so easy as well. I mean, you're, when you're driving at that, at that speed, I was just thinking, I would just turn my, turn my seat. And then I was freaked out for the rest of the journey, because I was like, that was... I was in another place there for 10 miles. I didn't even remember those 10 miles. Um, you know, it just was blank. And it was when I got home, um, I, 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 at those days, I, I realised that I, I can't go on like this. And I called. I, I'm lucky, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky to have parents that love me. And I called my called my mum and I just said, I need to come and live in the house. And my mum was like, you know, you won't be coming into the house late and you won't be making noise and you won't be doing this and you won't be doing that. And I was just like, Mum, yeah, that's fine, but I need to I, I need to move to the house for a while. I can't I can't be living alone. Um and my mum said, Yep, yeah, okay, that's fine. And I moved I moved home. And it was it was around that kind of time as well that I met my my partner. Um and that was a that that that's where all my my life kind of changed. Um, you know, she she really understood me and listened to me and I was really open with her, told her about my challenges, told her about the things that I'd gone through, um, didn't hide, you know, didn't shy away from being really open with her and she herself has had her own her own struggles um, and it's just amazing. It was amazing the way she she gave me a new lease of life um, and then the, the podcast obviously launching uh, and I'm not going to sit here and say I'm, absolutely over the moon i'm the happiest guy on the planet i haven't seen my son for probably near three years now um i'm blessed with a beautiful little girl who you know i absolutely adore um but it's hard you know i've actually i've got i've got a, an older son an oldest son as well um who was wasn't in my life for many years who i've, I've, I've touched touched back with now and I'm, I'm making every effort to have a have a have a relationship with and i think it's important that it's never too late in life to to maybe just reassess things and make some changes. Um, and it can probably have a positive effect on your mental health because a lot of those things I carried around in my head for a long time, i.e. not seeing my son, uh, my firstborn son for a long period of time and, and guilt. Guilt is, you know, the guilt would eat at me. Uh, had a big detriment on my mental health. So all these things, um, I think mental health is something that can be managed. It can be you know, it can you can exercise it and you can do good things for that. I think staying active and doing a lot of, you know, speaking to people as well, it's all good for you. Uh, but suffering in silence on your own is not the way to go because we are hearing about suicide way too much now. I, I just heard the news actually a couple of days ago, a UAE cricketer, um, uh, you know, young man, I think he was a pilot as well, and he was found he's hung himself. And, and it's like, broke my heart to hear that. Like, 
it's happening too much and we need to address it because people shouldn't be taking their lives. We shouldn't be getting, we, we shouldn't allow people to get to that point. Um, and I think with this coronavirus and the pandemic and everything, this is a time where we should really be prioritizing mental well-being and mental health. There's a reason why I was really keen to come on your show. I'd actually spoken with Cricket Scotland, who I think you've been doing something with, and it had been mentioned to me about doing something with yourself. It never came to never came to fruition, but uh, I've been following you and, and been watching for a while what you're doing. And I, I think uh, talking to you now personally, the questions that you've asked, um, you've given me some food for thought for for future podcasts. So that's uh, that's that, that, that's really good. But no, it's it's great, and I think um, I feel comfortable talking to you and, and speaking openly about this. And I hope somebody somewhere takes something positive from it and, and can can put it into their life. Oh, well, I'm sure they will. It, it's been lovely chatting with you. I've been scribbling down different things that you, you've said, so um, it's, it's going to be great for me to have a little reflect on it and everything like that. So uh, I really appreciate your time. For those listening, make sure that you, you head over and check out um, the, the podcast. Where's the best place to find that? So um, my Twitter and Instagram are the same usernames. It's uh, Shakey's, um, is S-H-E-I-K-H, Y-S-S-J-1, Shaky Sports Journeys 1, um, and that's on Twitter and on Instagram. You'll get my YouTube channel link on the page if you want to subscribe to the channel. That would be awesome. Um, and also you can listen to Shaky Sports Journeys on audio on Spotify, on iTunes as well. So plenty of places. If you're driving in the car or if you want that, that face then you can, uh, but I don't think you want to be looking at this face, you know, too often. I've got a lot of friends now that are just like, mate, we use it on Spotify now, you know, <laughs> I see enough of you. So yeah, it'd be awesome if you would subscribe and give me a follow. I'm, I'm, I'm working working hard um, to try and deliver good good content um, for you to all listen to. And I'm a massive advocate for for mental health as this, as this gentleman is here. Um, and I think um, it's great awareness that we're trying to trying to build so thank you for thank you for having me on and thank you for thank you for listening top man thanks very much